everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there, Steve. Hey. And today we're talking The Night Ocean by Paul Lafarge. Yes. Now, normally, um, one of our big gripes with stories in the wider realm of Lovecraftiana is the use of Howard Lovecraft as a character. Yes. Um, people take liberties and project onto this character anything from being a uh, steampunk hero, which is one of my most, the most annoying personifications of the man um, I've ever read, <laughs> to um, being a uh, put-upon old gent who was actually right about what he wrote about. Yes. Another annoying um, caricature of the man. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's always the uh, he's a writer. Somebody else discovers everything that is right and he just fictionalizes it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's dicey to begin with, mm -hmm. I think. To, to include, you know, Howard as a um, an actor in the world he created, which is usually how it works out. Right. This book is a little bit different because it is uh, not so much a uh, cosmic horror. It's more of a, a mystery, uh, a mystery and a character study. Yes. So this... It basically explores the presumed relationship between uh, Lovecraft and Robert Barlow, who was the executor of his literary estate, um, a famous anthropologist in his own right, and a uh, gay man. Mm. Um, when he knew Lovecraft... He was 16 years old, and Howard was in his 40s. Yep. So, take what you will from that, because Lafarge certainly does. <laughs> right. Right. The uh, premise of the book begins uh, with with a disappearance of a man of a man named Charlie. He's a uh, a bit of a biographer by trade. He he writes human interest stories and things like that for for various publications. Yeah, he you the closest thing I could think of him in like real life would be like a blogger for Vice or mm. or a similar webzine kind of thing um, where they do um, NPR style human interest stories. Right, and they, that's they, what he is. He. Um, it would be like your Saturday afternoon NPR fair, but about, you know, written down instead of mm. audio essays. Right. And, and, and some of those Saturday afternoon NPR fair shows come into play as set dressing here. That's true. In this Fresh air. Fresh air. Uh, audio lab, radio lab. Yep. This American life, I believe shows up as well. I'm Diane Ranch. Oh Lord. No, she's weekday. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's not in this. I just I just like doing Diane Reams. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Charlie mysteriously vanishes after being admitted to a psychiatric hospital. 
Yeah, very Lovecraftian kind of setup here. Mm -hmm. uh, his wife, estranged wife, a psychiatrist by trade, uh, begins uh, wondering and leads her to investigate the events surrounding Charlie's disappearance. Yeah, she doesn't believe he's dead. Mm -hmm. And so she's trying to piece together what happened. Um, and, and while she's doing this, you kind of learn the layers of um, Lovecraft and Barlow's relationship. Mm -hmm. Supposed relationship. Right. Supposed, yes. Um, one of the things that struck me pretty early on in the book is how Lafarge uh, wove the standard tropes of a Lovecraftian story. Mental illness, a mysterious disappearance, forbidden books, secret societies, um, and, and even to an extent, a, a, a formless monster of sorts, um, and just pretty much turned all the tropes on their head and gave us a really engaging novel um, that at its heart is not about horror, it's about people. Yeah, and, and don't forget um, unreliable narrators. Oh, yes, and existentialism. Yes. And communism. Yes. Lots, lots of communism. <laughs> so Charlie was investigating. Um, Barlow committed suicide as well, by the way. That's mm -hmm. a key point in the story. In Mexico. Right. Um, because he was being uh, blackmailed by a student. This is reality. Uh, mm -hmm. Being blackmailed by a student about being a homosexual. And right. he was and this, afraid this was, how that would impact his, his career and his life. And this was against the, the backdrop of the McCarthy era where... It was the 50s. Right, it was the 50s. So, you know, you had things like, you know, anti-smut laws and decency laws. And you had the whole M McCarthy communism trials and hearings. And it's just this really... Um, oppressive time in American history where nobody could really trust anyone and and yet some people and I use the term lightly believe that this is some type of golden age to return to right that everything was so great in that time period but it, it really wasn't Right, so Charles's whole shtick is he um, brings these hopeless cases of humanity uh, to life and gives mm -hmm. them like some sort of um, humanity mm -hmm. uh, through his writing. And he finds evidence that Barlow did not commit suicide, but faked his own death right. and moved, moved to uh, um, Ontario. Mm-hmm. So he pursues at, um, this lead and finds um, Barlow living in like some one horse town in, in Ontario mm -hmm. and, and writes a book about, about this. Um, now the man, it, it's a little complicated. The man who is Barlow had published a, um, well, it was called the Erotonomicon, mm -hmm. and it, it was a sexy, fun time uh, book 
describing his relationship Lovecraft's with Barlow from Lovecraft's perspective it was his basically his diary from his um from his three month stay at Barlow's um parents house mm-hmm. in Florida plus and, a little bit before that yeah and it's it's funny because it's got um all of the sex acts are named after uh different um Lovecraftia uh, like old ones and stuff like <laughs> we may perform the, perform the yog sofa three times <laughs> yeah that's pretty funny we visited the outer spears yes so it, it was all supposed to be this this code that his writing what was um homoeroticism mm-hmm. very funny stuff the the read it just for that it's hilarious i was on, i was in stitches um as a matter of fact there's there's a um there's a passage in there right around when when this diary is being being read where um the the author barlow is on trial and uh well it wasn't barlow somebody else sorry He's he's on trial um, from the Senate committee, <laughs> and he's and he's going. How can you say that this is this smut? And he reads a passage of Night Gaunt's tickling Lovecraft in the Dreamlands, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes. So, how is that not pornography? Right, hilarious. Like, how is this horror? <laughs> Because and in so the context, I, Howard was afraid of being tickled. I guess <laughs> in the context of of that passage in the book, had me in stitches. Had mm-hmm. me in stitches. It was hilarious. And you go back, and it, it is, it's plausible. I'm not saying Lovecraft was gay. I'm not saying Lovecraft was anything. I'm saying that what we know about Lovecraft. Um, the fact that he he does not write about he does not write women mm. in his books. Um, he had one relationship in his life with a woman that we know of, um, and that was a really weird relationship. You mm. know, it, it it almost seemed loveless. Um, Oof. yeah. <laughs> um, with Sonia Green that it's it's plausible that um hp lovecraft was homosexual mm-hmm. so it, the, the book plays with that because if you know anything about lovecraft's life in his letters and stuff it's a plot it's a possibility right right it, it did seem it, reading through um the 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 text of the erotonomicon within the pages of the night ocean uh was believable it, right. it certainly it certainly had a, a realism to it yes and and the book itself um uses real people and real locations and real events mm-hmm. um so in that way it is like a bit of historical fiction right um it just you know takes a little bit of liberties with um who said what to whom mm-hmm. you know and what went on um personally in in these situations so yes we know that lovecraft visited barlow for three months um do we know anything about what actually went down there no not really right 
so he fills in those gaps with uh, plausibilities. Right. And another interesting thing about the book is the construction of it being a, a there are, there's a book within a book within a book. Right. And, um, and presumably the way, the way the night ocean is written, it's written uh, from the estranged wife, Marina's point of view. And she even makes side comments that she's writing all of this down. Right. So, so it's a book that is a book about a book within a book. Yes. At, 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 some, at one point, it does get that far. It, it becomes bookception. Yes. Um, no, I don't want to give away too much of, of what goes on in this book. Mm -hmm. um, but just suffice it to say that the phrase, everything you know is wrong, crops up a lot. Oh, yes. Um, it definitely does. So the, the the narrators are all unreliable narrators, and you you end up um, reading you know fifty pages of of this narrative, and you come to find out that mm, that's not quite what happened, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that happens a couple of times. Right, right, because because Lafarge does introduce large chunks of these <clears throat> stories within the story. Um, is the pretty much almost the entire text of the Erotonomicon is included and mm -hmm. you get that full picture and then it expands out from that into Charlie's interview with Robert Barlow. Right. And so you, you have this whole narrative being spun and by the time we got back to what happened to Charlie, uh, really there was, there was a point of awkwardness there because it was like, well, man, I was really getting invested in what was going on with Barlow. Who? Char who's Charlie? Charlie who? <laughs> yes, you do kind of lose the um, the meta narrative, I guess, the, mm -hmm. the or the um, what do they call that in, in anthology movies? Um, the bookend narrative, right? Um, that's going through everything. That's connecting it all together because at its heart, that. It is this woman's quest to find out what happened to my husband. Right. What was what was the cause of his inevitable decline uh, into madness and potentially suicide? Right. And um, it, it's a great ride. There's a couple of, of cameos that um, occur in this book that are worth reading just for that. Mm -hmm. So um, there's there's a cameo of one of my favorite authors, William Burroughs. Right. Uh, who apparently was a student of Barlow's in Mexico. That That's like fact. Mm -hmm. um, Lafarge plays a little bit fast and loose with that, but you do get to see um, uh, Bill Burroughs crop up a couple of times uh, in the text. Um, it's it's great because he he comes up as um, at one point as Lee, which is the pseudonym he used. Um, that was his his character, uh, uh, if you will. It, it was his um, Randolph Carter, right? Um, in his writing. So whenever you're reading Naked Lunch and they talk about Inspector Lee or just Bill Lee, that's Burroughs, right? Um, so they had him using that as an alias um, in New York mm -hmm. because he was he was using it because he was wanted, right? Um, right. And then he, he crops up again 
in Mexico, and he and well, I don't want to spoil it. He's great. They, I, I don't know what William S. Burroughs was like as a person in real life, um, but Lafarge plays him like the junkie he was. <laughs> right, Bill. Bill was that guy. <laughs> yeah. So he usually, um, especially like in the eighties and towards the end of his life, um, if you see like burrows pop up in a movie or something like drugstore cowboy he's the wise old junkie mm. telling him like it is right um and then here he's much younger and much more of a hustler yeah. um which is probably a little bit closer to the truth of of um who pre who was pre, back pre-author yeah, yeah william s burrows pre-fame william s burrows of who he was but just because of what he did mm. Yeah, Neil Cassidy gets a shout out as well. Yeah, yep. Briefly. Um, yeah, one of the probably the funniest thing in the book and and one of the things that helped me invest in the character of Barlow is how he goes uh, from one extreme in his younger days and his literary adventures hanging with Lovecraft uh, to the opposite extreme with Bill Burroughs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, to 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 wanting revenge on Lovecraft. Right. Um, and and at the the other heart of the story, aside from like this detective story, is um, the different attitudes that people fans um, have towards, pardon me, Lovecraft and um, weird fiction mm -hmm. and and that relationship. Um, you know, there's there's at points there is Lovecraft, the venerated. Um, you know, father of of the genre, mm. um, who is so, um, I guess, inhuman that he's incapable of loving um, other people. Right, right. He, uh, he becomes he becomes this uh, almost caricature of his own protagonists. Yeah. Um, and that, and then there's uh, a point where he is just hated, reviled uh, because of who he is, because um, he, uh, um, the 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 man who was Barlow. Mm -hmm. And if you read the book, that makes sense. Um, was part of the army that liberated Auschwitz, right? And oh, uh, Bellin, uh, Bellin, so, sorry, was part of the. Um, the army that liberated Bellin and um, saw what, Where what happened. Lee's parents got married. Yes. That's actually <laughs> why, that's why I sent that to you, by the way, just, just because it was like a, a nice coincidence. Mm -hmm. uh, Get, Getty Lee's parents. Which I just saw this interview with Getty Lee were um, Holocaust survivors mm -hmm. and uh, they got married in Bellin after the liberation. Right. So anyway, um, so the man who would be Barlow um, was part of that and saw the atrocities committed in Europe and found out that he actually had Jewish roots. Right. Um, and um, couldn't square the circle of Lovecraft wanting to gas Jews, thinking that that was an okay thing. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so he wants to enact revenge upon Lovecraft and everything he wrought. Mm -hmm. but not but by making him into um something that could be reviled as as much as 
is, is he reviled Jews. Right. So in, instead of exposing him, you know, because it being the 40s, the 50s, that's not really a big deal. It's not a deal breaker. But exposing him as a, a gay man, mm-hmm. well, that would do it. And it did for a while. Uh, the the other part of the other side of that coin is how um, fans like modern Lovecraft fans, mm-hmm. um, the people that you and I know and love, react to to um, various degrees. Yes, <laughs> react to negative publicity about Lovecraft. Um, so when Charlie wrote his book about Barlow and uh, Lovecraft. Um, once it, that book was exposed as uh, being fake, mm-hmm. or or well, fake is the wrong word. Um, ill researched, I guess is is a better way of putting it. Um, he is lambasted, and and um, he his his life is affected so much that he has to go incognito it's almost like the um uh what's her name leslie jones mm-hmm. situation uh, where they just the twitter people got like so out of control with their hatred of her that they like forgot that she was a, a she's a person mm-hmm. before she's an actress in a movie right right uh same as uh they did with um daisy ridley and kelly marie tran right Yep. So, uh, not not just Lovecraft. It just so happens that I could totally see that happening in Lovecraft fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, <laughs> I do every, every time that someone brings up that Lovecraft was racist. You have you have the inevitable. Where do we have to beat this dead horse? Yeah. Reaction. Uh, head con. You, you get um thousands and thousands of of you know posts <laughs> about. You know, beating the dead horse and who cares if he was racist, blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, just refer back <laughs> to the whole world fantasy debacle. Yeah. And and you, you'll see it. Lafarge nails fandom and weird fiction fandom Lovecraftians nails them. Yeah, it does. And it's not, it's not very kind. Um, no, it is, to- it is not very kind. And I would encourage all of craftians you know to read this book and look at it as as a mirror of themselves and yeah. the quote unquote community yes i would i would as well um but if you're not if lovecraft is not your bag this is still an enjoyable book mm-hmm. um if you are reading this it's funny because i kept on waiting for something supernatural to happen mm-hmm. Um, I kept on waiting for there to be like evidence of mind switching, you know, literal mind switching as opposed right. to the the figurative mind switching that does happen mm-hmm. in the book. Um, one of the big themes is is achieving immortality, and is it possible to do? And you know, Lafarge claims yes, it is through you know the works you leave behind. Right. It's it's certainly possible. Um, but the protagonists and the characters in this story were looking for something a little bit more substantial, mm-hmm. a little bit more personal. How can I live forever? Not um, the concept of me. Right, right. 
Um, yeah, and and it really at its heart, this book um, it is is a love story. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not not solely the the Erotonomicon and the relationship between Lovecraft and Barlow, but the relationship between Marina and Charlie. Mm-hmm. Because you know she. Marina loves Charlie no matter what happened over the course of the book. And they drifted apart because of these events following the publish of Charlie publishing of Charlie's book. Um, they, they drifted apart. Uh, he, he rose to the cream of the crop. Um, you know, he was hitting all, he was in all the right places and stuff like that. Yeah. And it just go, kind of goes to show you how fast a, a rising star can fall again. Uh, just because that's what happened to Charlie. He rose to fame very quickly. Well, uh, pe- people love to skewer their own heroes. We love to see our own heroes fall. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the only thing, I think the only thing better than watching somebody claw and scrape their way to the top is to watch how fast they like tumble down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, we like to be the wax that holds Icarus's wings together. Yeah. You know, they get too high to the sun. It's like, Audi. <laughs> and just laugh as they fall. Yes. So it, it really, the book wasn't what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was kind of expecting a little bit more of the supernatural. I, I kept on waiting for that twist. And um, it, it was hinted at but it never manifested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it didn't matter in the end. It really didn't matter. And I wasn't disappointed at all um, by it. it. It was kind of the same, uh, the same feeling I got watching season one of true detective, right? Mm-hmm. You kept on having this, this um, darker sinister forces um, being hinted at throughout the whole thing. And when it finally came down to it, it was it was um you know mundane people doing mundane things right it was yeah but that was a little probably a little more scooby doo than than this book yeah, well but that book, was like yeah, i, I that, think you're kind of expecting it just given the subject matter and the way the book starts and and how lafarge uses the different lovecraftian and weird fiction tropes throughout the book but you know, me, I never really expected it to be, um, you know, to have us end up with a supernatural twist or even an, an, a hinting of a supernatural element. I knew that everything was going to be mundane, but it definitely did not go the direction I was expecting it to as I was reading along. Yeah, it's funny uh, because I, I had finished it before you and I think... It was one of the few times I was slightly ahead of you mm. reading it. So I was at points where um, things get resolved or go off in a different direction. And you'd uh, message me like, wow, he certainly seems to get around. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm biting my tongue here because I can't, I can't uh, let the cat out of the back. Yeah. Which is, you know, to me, that's kind of like the hallmark of a good book is, um, you know, you make up your mind about things and then those, the expectations that you put upon yourself um, 
get get you know turned around right and and in this book it's your expectations are just yanked right out from under you yeah i mean sometimes you get exactly what you think is going to happen of course um, but, but it all but, but even then it turns out that that's you know you expected that and that's what happened but in the end you were played mm -hmm. just just like um uh she was because mm -hmm. that's what you you expect that to happen and the farge isn't stupid he knows the the genre inside and out mm -hmm. so he could play with that right and he knows what the majority of us are gonna think especially those of us quote unquote in the know right right um i would say i would say that um while lafarge uses all of those tropes that we've talked about um deftly that he switched he flips the script on us completely and it becomes kind of gives us kind of a noir thing going on like a chandler novel or hammett or something where yep we're gonna set you up and then boom switch it around and you're gonna be and we're gonna confuse you and it's gonna be when we when we drop the actual uh, how the crime was done you're just gonna just, your jaw is gonna hit the floor yeah kind of yeah thing. so it, it definitely it definitely has that feel to it as well it's not like a hard boil kind of thing but it definitely no. uses that that um that noir taking the the, the rug and pulling it out from under your feet mm-hmm yeah battering yeah. everyone you're battering your character uh, not so much physically no but everyone is mentally battered throughout this yeah I, and I don't think that it would have worked if it wasn't playing around with the weird fiction uh, tropes that it was mm -hmm. um, because a lot a lot of it has to do with the assumptions that you as a reader are going to make when you see things like forbidden books mm -hmm. and, you know, secret uh, societies, secret societies, uh, certain locales mm -hmm. uh, and, and certain luminaries. Yep. You know, uh, you, you expect Burroughs to act in a certain way. And he does. Mm-hmm. He acts Burroughs, but is that what he, you expected him to? Oh, but is that really, you know, who he who he was as a person? I don't know. I didn't know the man. Most of the people who knew him are probably dead or brain dead at this point, right? Mm -hmm. So I I mean, I guess you can go out and get a biography of Burroughs and and find out to a certain extent. But you know, even like that. He plays a role in this, and it's the role that you would expect him to have played. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he is the double-crossing junkie, the kind of guy who would, uh, you know, steal $50 from your wallet and help you look for it. Right. That's a stereotype mm -hmm. of a junkie, and that's what William Burroughs, the ultimate junkie, ends up being in this book. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's, and it's, it's put in there for a purpose. Um, and it's put in there to Mr. To, for, yeah, to misdirect you, to, to have you looking here while what's actually happened is happening is going on over there. 
and he does that very well throughout the whole book. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, here's World War II Germany, but what's really going on? Right. Exactly. I mean, all in all, I would recommend this book. This book is was published in 2017, yeah. so it's it's approaching two years old now. It's relatively new, yeah. I've actually been meaning to read it for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would definitely recommend uh, checking this one out, even if you're not a fan of weird fiction or, or anything like that, even if you're a more serious, literary-minded reader. Well, that's the thing um, is it... It is a literary-minded book. It is not a genre at all. Mm -hmm. um, it is about genre, but you know, it it is you know more of a quote-unquote classy read. <laughs> Something and, a little more highbrow. <laughs> yes, exactly. You might see this on the syllabus in a major university at some point. Yes, this is the type of books that wears ten thousand needle socks. Well, I don't know, 10,000 needles, but <laughs> definitely a hundred. I think people who read it might have some expensive socks. Mm. At least one person. Well, not, not you and me, but. Right. <laughs> here in my uh, I'm dollar wearing, store socks. I'm wearing Vans socks. Oh, is it? Your own socks are more expensive than mine. <laughs> my socks, I got one needle socks. <laughs> My socks are saying, what's a needle? It's probably because William Burroughs took them all. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, definitely a book that's worth the read. Um, you know, honestly, I'm I'm thinking about actually adding this one to my collection permanently, uh, just because it is um, in in the phrase that's going around now it sparked joy <laughs> so you're not going to thank it and give it the boot no i'm not going to thank it and give it the boot um but yeah i might i might grab a copy of this just just for my shelf um nice. to pick up a, and read again later to see if there's anything that i missed yeah that's always the sign of a good book if you want to reread it because because as I'm going as you know as it's one of those types of books that you know I equated it to kind of to a mystery earlier, and it does seem like there are little clues dropped here and there. So it it may I think it's I think it's one of those things that there are probably some little hidden uh, hidden factoids or little clever turns of phrase that. I didn't catch the first time that I might catch on a second or third read. Mm -hmm. And it's probably one of the few books that we've recommended that I think I would read again and again and again. Oh, a lot of, a lot of times we're, we're kind of one and done. Well, yeah, we read a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, cause just, just to make this show, we have to we pretty much have to be one and done. And move on to the next one. Yes. I mean, this is one of those. Honestly, the reason why we're doing this book is because it's one that I've been meaning to read that I we just mm -hmm. haven't had a I haven't had a chance to read. Because mm -hmm. it is a fairly long book. It's like what 340 pages long. Yeah, something like that. It's a pretty decent sized book. Yeah, it reads really quickly though. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's a pretty decent sized book, and we have a week to read it. Um, right. and you know, I can't read this 
concurrent with something else. Right. So um, that's why I, 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 I recommended it because I really wanted to read it. I uh, appreciate you recommending it because it and it's and it's part you know right. it, it definitely fits into you know what we do here. It's not like an out of the blue thing. It wouldn't be like I asked us to read Lady Chatterley's Lover or something, mm-hmm. which gets a shout out. Shout out. <laughs> Isaac Asimov gets a shout out. Yeah, he does. Yep. I, I love it. I, I, you know, I know you're not a fan of Big Lebowski, but I love how Isaac Asimov shows up and all the people around him are always like, shut the fuck up, Isaac. Yeah, well, you know, Isaac has a rug in this that really pulls the room together. Yeah. But it's it's great. He's he's kind of the Donnie of the New York science fiction fandom. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's great because, because Asimov is so you know highly regarded in the science fiction community and, well, and to see him to see him you know in a, at a position in his life where everyone is just like shut the fuck up isaac <laughs> <laughs> yes get out of here it was like we went to they were planning on the going somewhere and nobody wanted isaac to come <laughs> was that the beach I think it was the beach. The Isaac wanted to come, but nobody wanted to bring Isaac. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yes. Very, very fun book. Very fun. It's kind of funny because um, Isaac Asimov would be the odd man out because he was the only one who actually knew anything about science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. They were just a bunch of communists. Yep. All right, so that was The Night Ocean by Paul Lafarge. Yeah, pick it up. Uh, yeah, pick it up. Check it out. Love it. Uh, Let it spark joy. And I will tell you, you will not find this in the science fiction section of Barnes and Nobles. You have to go to the fiction section. Correct. la da And and don't don't confuse it with the actual night, The Night Ocean. Yes, I guess we should mention that there is a short story called The Night Ocean written by Barlow, um, supposedly revised by Lovecraft, mm-hmm. um, which is, this is named after. Which gets a fair number of shout-outs throughout the book. and Yes, well, it should. The, it's named after it, so mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So read them both. All right, and that does it for us this week. And we'll catch you guys next time. Keep 30 luck points. 30. Damn it. <laughs> Making it harder than me to do that.